Amen. Thank you so much, brother. I, I love y'all. Thank you for letting us be in that series on our vision, Summit Church, Love God, Live Community, Serve Others. And for those that are watching Facebook, my son in New York and family in, in North Carolina, another family hopefully in New Jersey and all around, I, I praise God for you. Thank you for being here. I want to say this. Um, I really need, I always need God's help. I don't want to lie about that. God's got to do it all. I can't do anything. But I do want to say that today, that this sermon is, um, is challenging for me because I'm not a great guy when it comes to community, common unity. Uh, I'm not a great guy with that. And I'll tell you why, is because I don't know why it is, but I'm wired. God has given me this like spiritual gift of entrepreneurship. In other words, after about five to seven years, I'm bored. Anybody? Like some of you are like, I'm bored after the second you know, time playing a game or something. But I just get, I gotta, I gotta keep going, I gotta keep pressing. I feel like there's this, this groove in my life to do more. And so let me just give you a quick backdrop. So reason why churches today, when you think about society and culture and today, in, in most nations, we don't face what they face. Um, it, we're kind of like at Moe's. Do you like Moe's or y'all Chipotle? Y'all like the high dollar people? Let's just say this. Chipotle is okay, but Moe's has great melted cheese. Right? So anybody who melts cheese better is closer to Jesus. So um, let's get that right. And, and so what I want to say is, is that there's like mild and medium and hot. Are y'all with me? When it comes to spices, there's, there's a mild, and you're like, oh, okay, well. Then you're like a medium, you're like, oh. Then you're like, hot, and it's like, <laughs> hot going in and hot. Well, anyway, and so, fire in the hole. And so, what happens is we have mild persecution right now. Very mild. Mild is this. Neo, new, neo um, atheism is, not only atheism used to be, okay, we don't believe in God. Neo-atheism is, we don't believe in God, and we hate God, and we hate anybody who believes in that. And so there's this massive pushback. But what you're going to see is, is that today is that culture is becoming more and more uh, mild to, to medium in some ways. So what happens is, the reason why evolution, let me give you a quick history lesson, the reason why evolution took root in public schools was because education was always given towards Christianity. It was within the churches, it was within the families. You know history, right? You know how it happens. But then what happens happened is that Christians, everything got so nice and comfy that there was really no persecution uh, because our country, I mean, yes, we were founded on, oh, let's, let's, well, let's make some more money, let's do this, let's do that, and, but there was a strong Christian element to the founding, and, and so what happened was, is you see that we became, we started fighting amongst each other. Well, this theory's, you know, right, and this theological point's not right, so what happened quickly is that Christians started focusing on Christian doctrine and infighting, and they let go of education, and then all of a sudden you had evolution just become a sweep in, in, um, in Europe, you had it sweep in England, and then it swept into America, it crept in, and before they knew it, we turned around and was like, oh, they're teaching all these things that maybe are not biblically correct. Maybe there's microevolution, but there's not this macro and all this stuff going on. And so what happens is, that's the same thing that happens in Christian culture. When there's no real pushback, it's easy for us to believers, as believers, to start, well, this believer didn't do this right, and this didn't believer do this right. I guarantee you, if you go overseas, and there's so few Christians in a place, it won't matter if somebody speaks in tongues and you don't. Or it won't matter if you do and they don't. 
or won't matter if they're, they're Episcopal or if they're Anglican or if they're Presbyterian or if they're not. It won't matter. The only thing that will matter is will anybody talk about the blood of Jesus? So uh, I want to show you something kind of funny. Uh, a lot of you like John Chris. I like John Chris, a Christian comedian. Now he's going to say some things that are edgy, and so please, if I get fired, give me a job. Uh, elders are sweating right now. Church is sweating, and I love every minute of it. So uh, check out this video. You'll see how Christians kind of, when we're, there's not really anything to fight against, we start fighting against each other because we're built in, in some ways to really proclaim the gospel. And so uh, these are some ways, some of you might have grown up some of these ways, like don't watch this, don't watch that. My children are all going, yes, Dad, this is you this is you don't watch this so I hope you enjoy this video and see what it says so we good with that Jess all right cool here we go Possible belly shirt. <laughs> Rugrats, Angelica Talk Back. This is one of my personal favorites. Bill Nye, Science. <laughs> and lastly, Power Rangers, because our power comes from Jesus. There you go. So, there we are. Keep those kids <laughs> on the so that's just a spoof 
Oh, and he's making, he's mocking you and making fun in a nice way of how Christians sometimes we can turn, right, on each other and say, well, you know, I'm more spiritual because I don't let my kids watch this show or we don't watch this movie or whatever it might be. But, but when there's persecution, we're not going, oh my word, you watch Rugrats? Okay, you know, um, I can't do life with you. you. You with me? So that's what he's trying to say there in a, in a funny way is saying that when we get back to really what matters about Christ, what matters about community, that's what's important. So why is our vision? So why do we love God? Because loving God is this. Loving God is when we say our life, our life is not as important as the name of Jesus. We become so in love with Jesus that he's more valuable than a, a relationship with somebody. So he directs our relationship, who we marry and, and, and go out with and all those things. He's more valuable than, than all the, the things that we want to do with life. And he directs our job instead of me wanting my career. He says, John, this is my calling and for you. And the anointing is in that and, and go do it. And I go, God, I want to be with you. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere if you don't go. And so that's the idea behind that. So let me just say to you that community, Christian community, is built to do something powerful. So why do we say live community? Most people think Christian community is you come and, and you get involved in a small group or a discipleship group as part of it, but that's not real community. Community is when, when things are so common in our lives, that it just builds unity, and that is what speaks against the culture. I read an article, David Mathis, I believe the guy's name is, and, and, and he, it was very interesting when he said that, yeah, David Mathis, it was uh, community conquers culture. So I'm going to use that phrase. This is where we're going today. The notes are on Facebook at Summit Church. Here's the point today, is that Christian community conquers culture. Why in the vision, why does God even want Summit to exist? Well, we know it's for us to encounter Jesus every time we come with loving God. That's corporately, that's in groups, that's individual. But then why do we say live community? Why is there life in community? Because community is the way that culture is actually changed. Christian community, I'm talking about Bible-believing community conquers culture because culture is going to do what culture wants to do. People that get together that have the same minds. When you know anything about city life, you know, uh, city life, it's interesting to me when people talk about racism is that when my mother and father let me live with them and I had never worked in a city, but when I worked in Philadelphia, I realized that culture is different than color. Let me explain. So when I was walking down South Street one night with my wife, people began to yell at me because I wasn't Italian, I guess. I don't know. They didn't like me. I don't know what it was. I realized that there was a, there was a, a group of, uh, they called it Chinatown, there was a group of uh, Asian people that were there, and then there was a German town at one time, and, and then there was like Eastern, uh, the East part of uh, Philly, which is like Fishtown, which is like just... Uh, blue-collar people, and then there was North Philly, and then we had West Philly, and, and, and they had all these little pockets of cultures, and unless you knew somebody within that culture, it's very hard to get in. And so it was more culture-driven than race-driven. And, and so I began to learn that because, you know, in the South people talk about race, but, but, but up North there's race, racism and stuff like that as well, but there's also culture. And so culture's going to do, a group of people are going to do what they want to do outside of Christ, but how does biblical community do this? 
Uh, I love David Mathis. He said, long has the church been increasingly marginalized and ignored in modern Western society. So we're, we're like, the church is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. The church needs to come up. If you watch any of the news, the church needs to come up to speed. The Bible needs to come up to the culture. And if the culture accepts this lifestyle or the culture accepts this type of language or this type of movies, or I don't care what it is, put a sanctification issue on it. The, the, the Bible has got to adapt to the culture. So community, Christian biblical community, is what God uses to change the culture. That is why community is so important. Listen, I want to tell you something in the name of Jesus. I would stand at that door. Years ago, I was at that door. I try to greet y'all when I'm not playing bass. I try to greet everybody in love. Why? It's because maybe somehow, some way, that you just need a hug from Jesus, or you just need a handshake from Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And I'm at the door. This lady comes up to me and I kid you not she looked at me and she said you didn't mention the blood of Jesus one time I went what she said and, and she was a lady who had who's seasoned in life and, and I said what do you mean she said you didn't mention the blood of Jesus one time and it was as if somebody took a knife and hit me here I said well I, I mentioned Jesus like there's like Jesus is the only way. He, he's not just the Son of God. He is God. I believe in the truth. She goes, no, you didn't mention the blood. And it's by his blood that he sacrificed. And man, I tell you what, y'all hear me all the time. There's very few times I will, I will always mention the blood of Jesus. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater than the blood of Jesus. See, once upon a time and a more, he said, Christian society, Mathis said, it was easy to distinguish ourselves because there was no persecution. So you would say, by secondary issues, well, this guy's Baptist, or this guy's Presbyterian, or this guy's Episcopalian, or this was non-denominational, or, or he was whatever it is, or whatever it is. He goes, but in the days of head, and already now, we will discover that the most important word in our local names is church. And I would like to add to that, a Bible-believing stained by the blood of Jesus, that this word is the infallible and errant only word of God, that is, that type of church is what will unify us. And even more important than harmony among the churches is harmony, he said, within the churches. That's how we change culture. So I'd like to look at a place where he argues that how we orient one another in the same congregation, engage in life, he said, together is critical. This is an article back in 2015, August, I think, 15, 2015. He says, it's critical in our effort to stand as lights in the world and not succumb to the darkness. So, when people come to this church, they make a decision in 30 seconds to a, a minute whether they're going to come back. And I want you to know something, that in churches today, you can build a great church and get people assimilated. All you got to do is you got to have amazing greeters. You got to have people, you got to have great programs, right? And you got to have a worship team that sounds better than any concert that you've been to. And then the pastor gets up here, am I right about this? And he just doesn't fumble. He just says, the very, very polite, nicely, Jesus, be, be real nice and sweet and kind. Let's not get too excited about Jesus. Let's get excited about other things. And, and, and really just don't throw an interception. Just be nice. You can build a great church, but I don't know if you can build a biblical church. 
not saying that they're not. I'm just saying that's what it is. It's assimilation. It's getting people connected and doing life in small groups. That and, and then this community. Because it's a community, the Christian community is what will change the culture. And that is why we have community. We live community. It's so important that if you're here today to get into a group that we can begin to do life and get in. It's not just unity among churches. It's unity within the church. I'll show you the Bible, what the Bible says, the very blood of Jesus bought our souls, Bible, so that we can show people the Word of God. Here we go, Acts chapter 16. So here it is. Christian community conquers culture. Christian community conquers culture. Christian community conquers what, saints? Christian community conquers what? Acts 16. Let's turn there. And and I want to pray before I read and ask the Lord to continue to move as we open up this blood-stained word. Every other people that say there's a God, man has to get to, but in Christianity only did God come to us and sacrifice himself. Let's pray. Lord, I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and a power so that everybody in here, that their faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on the Spirit and a power. Lord, take my words. Samuel, the great prophet, said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, because Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Lord, Luke eleven thirteen 13, on prayer, all on prayer in that wonderful Bible chapter, it says, Lord, about people that don't know you, it says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, Heavenly Father, please pour your Holy Spirit upon us today. As Ephesians 5 would say, do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus washing away our sins, cleansing us from our sins. And you putting a new heart inside of us and putting your word in that heart as Ezekiel 36, 26 and Ezekiel 11 talks about. And then you seal your word around this new heart by your Holy Spirit who speaks to our conscience, who tells us the very words of God. And they bring life because the word of God is living and active. Sharper than a double-edged sword, able to cut through the joints and marrow, rightly dividing the soul and the spirit. Here we are, Lord. We come to you today. We don't come with anything, but we come to the God as everything. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord. We look to you, our eyes look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. We bless you and worship you. We know we're encountering you and you will speak. We love you. And all God's people said what? Amen and amen. Here we go. Acts 16, verse 11. The great apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. He's moving into the, to the Grecian area, and into the Macedonia area, and he's going to go to this place uh, in Philippi. You're going to see this, and it's, it's, he's going to, you're going to see community, where Christian community conquers culture. Christian community conquers what? That's why we live community. It's not so that you'll get involved in this church and you won't go anywhere and you'll tithe and then somehow, some way, the church gets lots of money and we can do lots of things for the gospel. That's not it. The Bible did not say churches make money. The Bible says for churches to equip the saints. And the only way to do that is for us as a church not to come and sit and soak 
Woo! And Kevin, you, you ain't going to have many people left. You know, can I move in with you? We can't come and sit. We've got to do life together. That's why the world seems like it's winning, because all Christians do is infight. I guarantee you, if my life is threatening, my brother's life is threatening, I'm not going to be arguing over certain people's style. I'm going to be, let's do life together now because you're the only one I can trust. Because when Jesus is all I got, then he becomes all I need. Acts 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. Hence the book of Philippians, right, that he's going to write from Rome because he loves this church here. You're going to see this church get started. A Roman colony. What's a Roman colony? All it is is a little Rome. Every Roman colony was a little Rome run by little Roman Caesars, right, governors, and, and, and little Roman empires, and little Roman ways, and that's all it is, little Rome. If you think of Rome, you think of this area, and they would kill you like they would in Rome, they would persecute you like you did in Rome, and obviously this place was so Rome there wasn't even a synagogue, very few Jews. Totally culture against God. No community of saints to conquer the culture. A Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. It's a leading city. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, that is, here we go, the Jewish Sabbath, right? On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. There was no synagogue, so they had to go outside the city to find, is anybody seeking God? Because inside, we don't know where there's anybody seeking God because there's no place for anybody to formally go and seek. So these people who were seeking God, remember when Jesus is all you have, he's all that matters. See, Jesus went outside for us. He went, listen, we were in the cities, and we were there, and Jesus, and, and, and then all of a sudden, we just went and ran, and we were running away from God and running away. But Jesus goes to where we are. We went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Ladies, I want you to know something. I want to be very clear. The Lord God uses women so powerfully in Scripture. Don't think for a moment that you are not valuable to the kingdom of God. You are so invaluable to churches that many times women do amazing things because men are so weak. And there's backbones to this community you see this here. And look what it says. One of those listening was a woman who had gathered there. Oh, excuse me. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. Lydia was, hey, we got our own Lydia here. Woo! Bro day. 
every day, Lydia. And, and, and named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. I mean, this woman had some cash. She was, she was getting after it. She was, to me, a Proverbs 31 type woman. This woman was getting it done. She was a worshiper of God, but she does not know Jesus. People are looking. There are people looking for God. She's an, an elite lady. Obviously, some researchers think that she has this money and that she's going to the city because it's a, a leading city in the colony, and she has this money, and yet look what happens. God comes to her outside the place where she makes it because she hadn't made it without Jesus. A dealer in purple cloth, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She radically gets saved because she hears the gospel, that the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus dies for our sins because we are incapable and there is no way that we can ever get to God. We cannot be good enough. We are born not just with the propensity of sin, but the stain of sin. And that is why death comes to everybody. But Jesus Christ stood in the face of death, absorbed the blow and the wrath of our sins because the demand was perfection. Be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. We cannot meet it. Therefore, there's a burden called death, a punishment, a wage. We cannot bear. Many authors talk about that, John Piper especially. And Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when God puts that new heart in us, she was, the Lord opened her heart, and she was radically saved by the gospel, then all of a sudden she couldn't help but live community. What'd she do with these people? Paul and Sarah, what did she do? Here's a lead. Listen, she has money. She doesn't need people. Obviously, she's so important, they even tell you her trade in here. Ladies, there you are. We are you're so needed in the gospel. I'm convinced today that ladies somehow, someway, even in schools, even in business, even in marketing, uh, why are women so powerful? Because you can say things men cannot. Men don't receive them in a great way uh, when a man says it, but when a lady says it, it's just received in a different way. Here's what's happening. The gospel is saying something to us. And then she lives community. Verse 16, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, that is the demonic spirit that had possessed this lady, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Let's keep going in the narrative. When her owners realized that she that, excuse me, that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Look at, look at this community. 
They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. No trial, no way of self-defense. It's little Rome. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, meaning he's going to lose his life if they get out. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with the stocks. Can you imagine being fastened that every time you try to even sit down, you're tired of standing, you're weak, you've been beaten, there's disease, you're in the center part of the prison. Every time you lean forward, that metal's just digging into your shins. You see, when, I went to de- when I've gone to death row, and, and, and it's in the center uh, of the prison, the reason why it's in the center of the prison is because it's the furthest, uh, it's the hardest to break out from. And here they are, like death row inmates, in the inner cell and fasten their feet to the stocks. About midnight, what was Paul and Silas? What did the community do? Christian community conquers culture. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Christian community always conquers culture. They replied, believe in the Lord. They, they, the community, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, because they know the gospel is going to spread. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all the household, his household was baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So I want to show you something here. How does Christian community conquer culture? What's the first thing that happened? When God began to move, think about what happened. When God begins to move in our lives, when we as a community get involved in each other's lives and we start doing lives together, like really valuing one another, the world wants to see community. They try to build communities. What do we do? What do, what do developers do? I mean, Kevin, you're an architect. What you, you know all, you were telling me that Nexon was going to happen before it even happened. You were telling me years in advance about the, the new uh, bypass and, uh, the, excuse me, the new uh, uh, exit and all those things before it ever happened. I remember Kevin Chang. What do developers do? They try to build communities. They put everything there. Why? Because they want you to stay there, do life there, spend your money there. In other words, make them more money. It's all about building communities today because the bigger the crowd, the more people long for community. 
And so what happens, what happens when these people, when they went to a place outside the city gate, which is what Jesus did in Hebrews 13 and 12 through 14, those verses, he went outside the city gate. What happened? What happened? As soon as the community started, then all of a sudden there was absolute, the enemy coming against. I want you to know something. I want to say this over everybody right now. Whenever you want to live, you want to live hard for the Lord, guess what's coming? Demons. Now I'm telling you. Um, you know, uh, Miss Penny goes, if you walk out those doors and you go out the front doors, out in, where those columns are, there's a room out front there. It's a prayer room. If you walk out these doors, then you walk through the outside doors like you're going outside toward that little, little pond. There's a, a prayer room. Miss Penny goes there. She's, she's like our Lydia. Right in some ways, like she's it's a place of prayer, and I just want you to know there's a lot of demonic activity that's going to happen when people start doing community, and so you get to see here. I want you to see what happens is that there's, there's the problem. The problem with Christian community with a conquering culture. The the problem is as soon and Mathis notes this as soon as the gospel began to take root in the city, opposition emerged. And if you notice, the first opposition the Lord showed me was by a possessed woman. That is, there's a direct encounter with the demonic. Whenever you and I get radically changed by God and start wanting to do community with each other, there's going to be a demonic spirit to try and, listen, let your marriage try to live for Jesus. Come on. Let your marriage try to live for Jesus. Don't you think demons will try to come against you? Huh? Yeah, King, you're a witness, can't you? And, and by the way, it's demonic. And demons come as an angel of light. They don't come with a pitchfork and these red horns going, whoo, I'm coming to get you. Boom, here's a little fire load. That's not how it works. There was a slave girl. Look there in the passage. Look what happens. Look at this in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, when God starts to move us in prayer, in community, what happens? The, spirit, the, the demonic tries to take over. The demonic tries to take over us. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why? Because the demons always have to go through flesh. They cannot go through the spirit because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit, a demonic spirit, which she predicted the future. Anybody who goes to these spiritualists who predict palmry, all that stuff, that's demonic. Well, they called up my dead loved one. That's the demon. Well, how do they know so much? Demons even know their destruction. Just read the Bible. Demons fell from heaven. They know the plan of salvation. They rejected it. They know revelation. Satan quoted scripture and misquoted it. The difference is he doesn't believe it. Because until the word of God meets the spirit of God, you never have the fire of God. The word of God can be proclaimed, but Matthew 13 says it'll fall on hard soul. And then there'll be a bird that'll come and take it away. And so the word of God, like I'm saying here to you, can be heard. But if a heart is not made new in Jesus, if he doesn't open up, then he can take it right away. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be. But community, Christian community conquers that. Because here's what happened. Because they were doing community together, because the community was offensive and not defensive community is this. 
That's the world. This is us. Mm, mm. Unsaved, saved. Burn, free. Mm. French fried, sanctified. You know, right? That's why, it, that, listen, but, but if you read the Bible, the Bible says that the Christian community was so in love with Jesus that they didn't really care about having this great car, though God can give you that. I'm not knocking, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that all that matters is Jesus, and if Jesus says go there, they step right into the demon's territory, and they're not afraid because they have a God who drives out fear because perfect love, ekbalo in the Greek, casts out all fear. So what do they do? They go in there and look at this girl. Think what Satan was doing. He comes as an angel of light. What was Satan doing? What did he say here? What did the demon do? She said, she was shouting, the Bible says. She followed Paul and the rest of us. So she followed them along, and you would think, hey, we're getting followers. We're getting followers. We're getting followers. And shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. Is that true, yes or no? It's not a trick question, I promise. Are Paul and Silas true followers of Jesus? Yes. So the demon is speaking truth. Angel of light. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be what, saints? Is that true? Yes. So what's the problem? What is the problem? Let's keep reading. There's obviously a problem. I'm not making this up. She kept this up for many days. So obviously they let her tag along. (laughs) Come on. Oh, microphone. Paul and Silas, they're telling you the way to be saved. Paul and Silas, they're telling you the way to be saved. You know, okay. I've ridden in a car with my kids before. Let me just break it down. And they're in the back seat. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. Stop touching If you don't stop touching him, I'm going to touch you. <laughs> My point is, is that she was saying the right things in the wrong way. That's what demons do. She wasn't trying to promote the gospel. She was trying to distract the gospel. If you got something in your life that's distracting you from Jesus, it ain't from Jesus. (gasps) But I love him. Let me flip that. Does he love you? Ah, yes, he does. He markets me on Twitter. You should see our Insta stories. We finish each other's sentences. Here's my thing. If he loves you, then he will love the one you love. So what happens here? Finally, Paul became so annoyed, that is, literally in the Greek, he was pierced, he was fatigued, Look what he says. He turned around and said to the spirit, notice he didn't rebuke the woman, he rebuked the spirit because our struggle's not against flesh and 
That's why Christian com- co- community conquers culture, because the Spirit of God in the community is so powerful. That's why the body of Christ is meant to be a body. You know, a hand can't go out there and just speak. A hand can just wave. A hand can pick up something, but it can't really speak. That's why we need a body. And she became so annoyed, he became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, Christ never needs Satan's help in promoting the gospel. Never. And so you're going to have this rub. As soon as we try to live for the gospel in community, then Satan is one to divide the community. Uh, Satan will put in there, I don't like the way she dresses. I don't like him. John just wears the same things every Sunday. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And if I would lose weight, I'd put my corduroys right back on. I just got to lose weight to get back in them because of chub rub. And so he's going to come against us. What are we going to do? So there's the problem. When we follow the Spirit, we will encounter spiritual warfare. I'll, I'll prove it to you. 1 John 3, 8. Look what 1 John 3, 8 says. It'll go up here. 1 John 3, 8. Yeah, okay. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Watch what he explains. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The sin and the marketing of the gospel through Paul and Silas was not to promote the gospel, but to distract from the gospel. Satan always distracts. He always wants to distract community. There's no way we can meet. There's no way we can get together. There's no way. I, I just need to get ready for work. I need to listen. Here's the bottom line. People won't give me a chance to preach until they feel the love of Jesus there. If they don't feel it coming in from that parking lot or that parking lot, they ain't coming back. I don't care. I don't care how anointed. So if you go to Elevation Worship uh, in Charlotte, y'all know what I'm talking about? Furtick. How do you think they know there's a first-time guest? Notice I didn't say visitor because they tell us all the time, don't ever use the word visitor because visitor means you come and then you leave. Guest means you're always welcome. I'm not making this stuff up. It's called church growth. We study this stuff. I can exegete a community. I can tell, look, I can tell you, it's called Christian Mark. I can tell you how to grow. The problem is I can't get peace how to do it. Uh, let me tell you why. How do you think they know? Come on. You, you know, you can preach like Ferdinand. You, how do they identify with 10,000 people, 15,000 people? How do they identify a first-time guest? Let me tell you a little secret. So if you take your kids and drop them off at Children's Church, which ours is over here in the basement, if you go to Elevation and you drop them off at Children's Church, this is how you know. If you're a first-time guest, they check off, I'm a first-time guest here, they give them a bag. They give them a free CD, they give them a copy of one of his sermons, they give them a shirt, all this. So guess what happens when there's thousands of people walking around and you've got a couple carrying a bag? How do you know they're a first-time guest? Talk to me. The bag. That's how they know. And then what do the greeters who are strategically placed at every place, what do they do? They then go and immediately get them connected to the leaders and get them in a small group like that. See, it's not the corporate worship so much that keeps people, it's the assimilation of people. And you get people assimilated. And I'm telling you, that's what, that, and I'm not knocking them the strategy. That's a methodology. I'm not knocking the method. I'm just saying the master, the message, and the mission never change, but methods do. 
And that's how, that's how people do it. I think it's wise. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't, uh, there's nothing wrong. I'm just saying that that's, that's a method to get people because they know that people, it's not going to be Furtick's sermon that's going to keep them there because they can watch it online. But it's getting people in community. In this church, there's no way, even with this small amount of people, there's no way that all of the community can hang on me or the elders or Diego, whoever, and just get, we, we've got to do it together because it's only in community because that's what the world's looking for. If you want to change the culture, you change the community. You make it biblical. This is what they did. They changed Philippi. Philippi begins to change because somebody was unashamed preaching the gospel and they were living in community. And you see what happens here. So, so 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil's work is destroyed by the way the gospel takes root in our lives and we begin to love one another. So Christian community conquers culture. And here's how I'm going to lay in the plane the best I can. I'm going to do the rest tonight at 6 o'clock in the Whitfield Center because I can't get through it. But I'm going to tell you this. Here's how we know. Here's just one part that we see in the scripture. And I'm just going to leave it at this. Christian community conquers culture, and this is going to be, this is going to be a term you're going to go, oh, well, that's nothing rocket science. You know, it's not rocket science to hear it, but it is absolutely crucial to live it. The Christian community conquers culture through love. I'll show you. Look at verse, verses 11. Uh, well, let's work back at verse 13. On the Sabbath, this is uh, Acts 16, 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. But she doesn't know Jesus. In other words, she's looking for God, but she doesn't know what God is. Who's God? Who's the right God? How can I know? Everybody has faith. Is it the amount of faith that the followers have, or is it who they have faith in? And how do I know who they have faith in? Is it fake news? Is it written by man? Is the Bible? And all these things, like all these, all these questions and answers and add-ons and all these things that you see here. And here she hears the gospel, the good news of the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. The Lord opened her heart. And that's what love does. That's what love. You think godly biblical love is what's missing today. Look what happens. The Lord opens her heart. She, and, and, and it says to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, notice what did she do? She took the gospel. She took the gospel to them. Maybe Paul and Silas told them. Maybe she told them. Maybe they were with them. But what happened? What happens when we get radically saved? Then community. We can't help but spread the gospel and build the community. Then what happens? She invites us. Here's love. Here's love. She invites us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, notice the question. If you think I'm really saved and really your sister in Christ, she says, "Come and stay at my house." And she persuaded us. What is missing today is godly biblical love uh, is missing. I'm not talking about earning love where people say you have to earn my respect. That's not scriptural. That's cultural. The Bible says do unto others as you would have them. So, so if you're on a football team, you got to earn my respect. Get down here. Let me see what you got. That's not biblical. That's, that's demonic. Nobody ever gave me respect growing up, so you have to earn it. I can't trust anybody. That's not biblical. That's a lie from Satan. 
doing to others as you would have them doing to you. Give them respect. Well, John, they're going to take advantage. They're going to take advantage of my kindness. They'll take kindness for weakness. They did with Jesus. But great is our reward with Christ because of the presence of Christ. He said, blessed are you when people persecute you for my name's sake. So there's a blessing that comes with it. So what's missing today is this, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you why. Matthew, t- listen, in other words, uh, I'm not talking about the earning love, but freely giving blood-bought love of Jesus. Matthew 10, 8 says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, and look what he says, look at the words of Jesus, he says, freely give. Give love, because it's the only way that's going to conquer culture. Everybody tries to build their own community. You have their own strength community. You have your own business community. You have your own mom community. You have your own family community. You have your own living community. And everybody in those communities are looking for love because maybe they came from a family that didn't give love, or maybe their family's so full of love they don't let anybody else in it, and they become just so inclu- you know, exclusive and all those things. But here's what happens when we have biblical love. We open up our arms and we say, this is what it looks like. And that is, the, that is how the culture is, stands and get, looks at us and goes, what's going on? That's love. Matthew 24, 12 says this. See, the world doesn't have this love, and I'll prove it to you. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, would you say that our society is increasing our wickedness? Yes or no? Then he says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. Just try, just try to drive down the road, and and maybe you got in the wrong lane, and you put your turn signal on, and you just need somebody to give you a break. They're not going to let you, are they? Most people. Till you find some sweet person or till you find somebody who's on the phone and they're not paying attention, you just gun it, right? Right, right. right. It, it, the, people don't give mercy and grace first. What do they give? They give the finger. Mm-hmm. That's true. They don't give mercy and grace. They give hatred. They yell at you. They throw their hands up. I'm guilty of that. They don't give that because, because everybody's, we were rushed. We've got things to do, places to go, people to see, and we got no time to be distracted, especially by people driving slow in the left lane. God help them. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says that mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of, of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud. How about this, abusive? Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. That means they don't like the things that are sanctified, the love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. They hate that stuff. They speak against it. Why be nice to people when they're jerks to you? That's what they say to us. Without love. Unforgiving. I want to stop there. If you don't mind playing over me, I have so much more. Why did I stop with unforgiving? Because I believe unforgiveness is the one thing that destroys Christian community. Whether it's in a family, whether it's in friends, man, it destroys us. So we know opposition is coming. 
And notice Paul and Silas, they did not hate the slave girl. Who did they command to leave? The slave girl or the demonic spirit? Talk to me. So as a believer, when we walk in love, that is we're walking in Christ because God is love, 1 John tells us, chapter right? 1 John says God is love, chapter 4. So we're walking in love. We realize that if Robert does something to me, the Bible says my struggle's not against flesh and blood. So as as a believer, I have to say either I'm going to be mad at Robert or I am going to speak forgiveness against the sin that he did to me. Now, I know what you're saying. So you just let everybody off. You just, you let it. So if somebody does me wrong, John, I'm just to let it go? Like, how can I let these people go? They hurt me. How can they, how, how can I just, God is just, oh, well, you know, it's your job to forgive them, so forgive them, right? Just, just forgive them. Just forgive them. Just let it go. Isn't that what the world says to us? Just let it go. You know what? I don't want to let it go. <laughs> so biblically, how do we respond? Now, there's a great writing on this by I mean, many people. We all know the psychology behind it. And it's even crept into secular, that is, non-Christian psychology, where they'll tell you how unforgiveness destroys you. And you've heard all the, the cliches that unforgiveness is like expecting someone else to drink the poison, but you're drinking it, right? You know, we hear all that stuff. But I think John Piper even nails it and other people. God took, if Robert sins against me, he took that action so serious that he said, somebody has to pay. John, your job is to forgive, but me, God is saying, is God is saying that since he is the judge, he will decide who pays. And he takes the sin that Robert did against me. God takes it so serious that he takes that sin and he puts it on Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 53 says, it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus. God takes sin so serious that somebody has to pay. So God puts the payment of the sin on Jesus so that I can now respond with love. When community doesn't work, it's because there's no love. I'm not trying to grow a church with thousands of people. I want to tell you something. You, y'all are, you know how much I love y'all. And these leaders will tell you. Julian will tell you. Julian, we've had as how many, what would you say a high estimation? You want to say it out loud. I'm just, just if I'm right. Like when we have the first Sunday with all the athletes and everybody here, we've had as many as probably six, 700 people in here easily. The bottom four seats a thousand people. So this seats a thousand. That up there seats 520. So 1,520 people sit in this auditorium. You, it can hold. So would you say a fair, a low estimation would be six to 700? I would say that's low. And we've had that for years. But we have not made it our goal to build 2,000 people, 3,000 people at Summit, though possibly we could have. But where I've messed up in sin is because I, I've been so adamant about building the kingdom of God, because the church is within the kingdom, right? And there's a kingdom and business kingdom, and there's 
there's Christian education in the kingdom and all these things, is that I've missed community here. I'm, I'm not a vessel who can preach this and proclaim this message eloquently. All I can do is say to you is that I'm a person who needs community. And I need a community built on love. And I, th- I believe with all my heart that if we learn to love one another well by loving Jesus, it'll all take care of it itself. But we need you. This is not a ploy to get people in. We need people to... to there's no way people can become members of Summit unless they agree to disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all ethnic, right, cultures, ethnicity, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So in order to be a member, when you go through the new members class, we ask you to disciple somebody, either disciple a friend, disciple a child, disciple a co-worker, disciple a, I don't know, a loved one, and disciple your spouse, or whatever it might be. Because we believe biblical membership is discipleship. And so we, we only have about 100 members. But I want to tell you, to me, it's not about building inside as much as outside, but here's what happens. When we learn to love one another, we become so offensive and speak against the darkness that the darkness can't understand us. I want to throw the scripture in land with this. John 13, 35, this scripture in the Philippians, we're done. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the offensive move of God is love. Philippians 1, 27 through 29 says this. I'm going to talk about it later on tonight. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. Notice inside the church, the oneness. And then it says here, striving together. That is offensive, as Matthew's talking about. Offensive as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign. Do people want a sign? Here's a sign. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you'll be saved. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. The, the way we move offensively as a church family is community. We're striving together. That's an offensive, and it, it push, that's how Christian community conquers the culture, because we strive together for the gospel. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. And they were going to this place of prayer all the time, and they were building the community of God, and they were so in love that it stood with each other that it stood against Philippi and the Roman, that Roman leading Roman city, and they're going, who are these people? What is going on? Because it's an offensive weapon against the culture. Community. But what kills it? Unforgiveness. So here's where we land. If you feel led to pray today and ask God to give you only the love that the Holy Spirit can give you, because the first, when we say the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first thing that Scripture teaches in Galatians 5? But the fruit of the Spirit is what, saints? Love. Without love, we can't forgiveness. Jesus said, if you can't forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. Remember that in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? It in, it's in Matthew chapter 6. And the reason why that is is because Christians will always forgive. That's a condition of grace that we get. 
grace moves in our life that we'll forgive. And so if there's something that has maybe happened in the past or something that we're holding on to, or maybe something we feel like somebody didn't recognize us or treat us right, and now's a great time just to give it to Jesus and ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, encounter him to give you love. Because biblical love, the world looks at that and says, listen, what are gangs? I mean, if I want to be in a gang, I gotta be, I gotta be beat down to be in a gang. But with Christ, I be, I'm built up. Everybody wants to belong to something, create identity through social media. They just want me love. How many likes? How many loves? If love wasn't so important, Facebook would never put a love button. You wouldn't get it on Instagram. You couldn't on Snap, Snap back. People want to be validated. So if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to know. Every time that we've sinned, the Bible says for all of sin, because nobody in here is perfect, there's, there's, a, there's a distance and a depth from God that we cannot get to. You can't, like, be good enough and take care of the poor and take care of the sick and take care of the dying and give money away and go serve in, in some area that people don't know the Lord and, and you just give your life away because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And so without Jesus coming to me through the cross and satisfying the wrath that I deserve and me saying in my heart, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord, right? Jesus is Lord because I believe in my heart. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks, Jesus said. He changes my heart, opens up my heart to know him like Lydia. I surrender my life. That's the only way to come to Christ. So if that's you in this room today, don't walk out of here saying, man, I don't know how to get saved. Yeah, you yeah, you do. You just, it's a call to die. You lay down your life. You say, I'm going to value Jesus more than I value anything else because he's that good. And my heart is wrecked because I have sinned. I have sinned. It's not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. I've sinned. And it cuts me. It hurts the Lord. And that hurts me because I value him. And then you just lay, lay it at his feet and say, God, save me. And he will. Maybe you want to come forward and just pray and say, God, I give you my life. He saves you before you ever get up. But it's just a confessional moment. And get up here and tell some of the leaders, the prayer leaders. But today, if you've got unforgiveness, we'll never have community without it. That wall that you have up, that's why we can't have community. The wall that we have up, that's how we miss community. And that's because it's been built on, that wall's been built on trust, pain, hurt, broken heart, let down. Jesus will build you up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here today that doesn't know you, that they can pray right now, Jesus, save me. Save me, Jesus. I confess that I've sinned. And there's no way to make it right but Jesus. And the only way for the culture of my sin to be conquered is through Christ. So I ask you to save me, and I believe in my heart that Jesus, you died on the cross, and God, you rose him from the dead. I want to confess with my mouth, he's Lord, and I just want to turn follow you. Turn from where I'm going, follow you. And Lord, if that's someone in this room, I pray they'll come forward and just call out to you. Maybe they want to kneel. 
Lord, if there's anyone in this room that just, there's this weight of unforgiveness, God, it will always hinder community. And the culture and the people around us will not see Jesus without seeing a group of people that are unafraid to to love. Not because they haven't been hurt before, but because we've been healed. So if there's anybody in here, Lord, wants to just come and kneel and pray and say, God, give me that love by the Holy Spirit that you promised us. Because in Jesus, every promise is true. Pray, Lord. Wherever there needs to be healing, maybe they want to pray for a friend or maybe they want to pray for a family member that the gospel go forward. God, you would give them Lydia's in their life. Whatever their spiritual need is, I pray they'll come forward now, Lord, and just pray. This is our worship to you. We love you and praise you.